We all have a lot of different skills or knowledge that we can monetize. And we think when we first step into the entrepreneur field that, hey, if I can market and showcase all these things I can do, I'm gonna get all kinds of business. But that's like counterintuitive because most people think like that. They think they can throw this really large casting net and catch all this fish. But the fact is, is most people, most people look for specialists, not generalists. And until you learn how to niche down to the things that you have passion for, that you wanna teach if someone that solves one major problem for them, that's when you start to get traction. And I learned that way. I mean, I even thought I niched down far enough. And then as I got it niched down even further to work with small business owners, then the things just started to pick up. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 147 with the side hustle millionaire, Tony Watley. This is squadron leader confirming hostiles inbound. Prepare for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for joining in today. I'm your host, JC Preston, founder of New Inceptions, and co-hosting today is Veronica Kieran, host and author of the Stories of Elders podcast and book. If this is the first time you're listening in, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists to help you find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. Hope you guys are having an awesome start to your spring here in the U.S., High schools are just about to host their proms, and colleges are gearing up for graduation. And speaking of college, and as you guys know, I spent a ton of time in university, college, and when it was all said and done, I spent nearly 10 years at Purdue. And while I miss the school itself and and the friends I made there, I don't miss the anxiety I had from from tests and doing projects. Uh, Today's guest is someone that knows that pain all too well himself. He went to school for mechanical engineering, and I know they had a time of it too over there. And like me, he was told that if you want to make a lot of money, then engineering is the way to get there. And as he was climbing that ladder, he found himself starting different businesses on the side. And you know that business ended up earning him what he was making in his day job as an up-and-coming executive. So fast forward to today, and our guest, Tony Watley, is on a mission to help other entrepreneurs do exactly what he's done. So join Veronica and I as we learn from Tony about how he was able to scale his business so he could have a 10-hour work week, as Veronica called it, uh, what life was like after selling his first business, and what he's looking to do with his 365-driven brand. But before we get into that, we want to remind you guys of the resource, Uncover Your Personal Mission. And as you'll hear in today's chat, you know, building your business takes a great deal of consistency. And as Gary V talks about all the time, it's much easier to be consistent at something you care about. So let me ask you this. What, what is it that you really care about? And what do you really enjoy doing? And on, on top of that, how can you take that to the market? You know, these are questions that we have to ask ourselves when we're finding our personal mission. 
And if you're doubting the work that you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis or wondering whether it's even right for you, or maybe you simply want to find the work that is right, I made this guide for you. And it's something that I wish that I had going through college or even after college for that matter. Uh, download it today for free by going to newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. All right. So before we begin, we get started. I want to give a shout out to Flying Admin for leaving a review on iTunes on the last episode. And he says, host J.C. Preston and Veronica Kieran's interview with Sagi Schreiber, uh, a self-described full-stack designer, is wide-ranging and full of valuable insights. J.C. and Veronica have complimentary co-host chemistry and makes the episode rocket past. Thank you for those kind words. Really appreciate the, the message and you know, you personally for taking the time to uh, give us that review. And yes, that chat with Soggy is packed with tons of great tips. Just a heads up for you guys interested in learning more about his work. Uh, for one, that was session 146, but he did a little re- rebranding in the last week or so uh, during the publication of that episode. And you can now find his podcast and Facebook group by using the key phrase creativepreneur. So kind of like how Michael O'Neill has the solopreneur hour and everything on the web is solopreneur with Michael O'Neill. Soggy's new brand is creativepreneur. But that all being said, if you want a shout out yourself, make sure you leave a comment on iTunes. Also, don't forget to subscribe via whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Doing so helps other people find the show, which means we can help them do more fulfilling work themselves. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash new inceptions and show notes and show note extras of this conversation can be found at newinceptions.com slash 147. And as usual, I'll be on after the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is JC Preston. Joining me today as co-host is Veronica Kieran. Thank you for joining us hey. today. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Hey, what's up, JC? <laughs> <laughs> From Detroit and Indianapolis. Detroit. But uh, yeah, thank you all for joining us today. How are you doing, Veronica? What's up? I'm good. I'm great. The sun's shining. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, You've been up to some interesting things. You actually did a, what was it, Reddit AMA not too long ago. and I did. I did do that. Yes. That was interesting. As expected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Still promoting the, the book and all. So, yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. And um, by the time this is published, I'll have done my TEDx. Right now I'm in in the throes of finalizing just the memorization. It's in two less than two weeks. So, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and TEDx is just one of those pinnacle sort of things that people are, you know, looking forward to do as part, you know, as a speaker. I mean, it's kind of like a... Ted and TEDx both mm-hmm. are just, you know, kind of uh, a milestone, I guess you could say, as, as, as being a speaker. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you've been able to find what is of interest to you, mm. you know, something that really brings with who you are based instead of, you know, past businesses that we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you got some good stuff going on in Indy. Oh, yeah. 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 We, uh, not to, toot, not to toot the horn too much, but we uh, found a new place for our events here in town, which is going to be pretty pretty nice. 
it actually used to be where used to host uh, what was called Hackers and Founders back in 2000, around 2010. Nice. And uh, yeah, it should hold up to 200, 300 people. So definitely a significantly Perfect. big jump from where we've been in the past where, you know, we had maybe about a, up to 80 people in a room for events. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty exciting. And uh, going to get some sponsors to help us secure the place and, and all that. Good. So. Leveling up. Yes, all yes, right. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But you know, one of the things that I actually find myself talking about more and more with people here and with people online is, you know, finding out what we're really supposed to do with our lives. And, you know, there's, there's something to be said about building your own thing and being able to control your own destiny, so to speak. And the other thing is, is that a lot of us can't really turn off as easily as people that generally have the nine to five, you know, the, the folks that just like, okay, I'm done for the day. going to go home and just hang out with a fam. That's fine. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't have that switch though. And you know, <laughs> we, yeah, no. <laughs> and so, you know, we take whatever we're working on in the day and while we might be, you know, hanging out with our families, you know, it, it, we're still working on whatever we were, we were working on during the day in our subconscious. Uh, today's guest is someone who's actually seen the entire gamut in his career. Uh, having grown up as the son of a U.S. Marine, it's probably safe to say that he has a bit of a work ethic. Uh, he put himself through college while working full-time as a pipe fitter, a welder, and working as a waiter in restaurants. And after seven years, he got his mechanical engineering degree. Since then, he worked his way through engineering and project management roles where he oversaw $100 million dollar large-scale projects. And while this was all going on, he was creating part-time side hustle businesses. Again, not being able to turn things off, right? So by the age of 34, he actually became a millionaire by selling one of these companies off. Today, he realized that he has a bit of a higher calling, which is awesome. And today's guest is actually Tony Watley. We'll be going to be talking about that, that higher calling and, uh, you know, just really bringing people up to the level of success that he's had. Uh, Tony can be found at 365driven.com. Tony, how are you doing today, man? Good. That was a great introduction, JC. Veronica, good to meet you guys on a digital space through these microphones. Yes, sir. Yeah. Pleasure having you and uh, really looking forward to today's conversation. So engineering, man, you know, that's something you and I have in common. Personally, I spent too much time in school Six, year, six and a half years as an undergrad, and then it took me another two and a half years to get through my master's, and it was just like, psh, just too much time. What drew you to study mechanical engineering in the first place? I think it's when you're presented the options as a child, and they tell you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then you're surrounded by people who just tell you to get to get six figures. If you can get a six-figure salary, like you're going to be successful, and you believe that, and they give you those <laughs> typical options. You can be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And, you know, I'm a car fanatic, so it's, it's cool that Veronica is up there in Detroit, Motor City, Motor City. Love that area for the cars. Mm-hmm. I am a car fanatic, and I have a, I've always had a mechanical aptitude of taking things apart, putting things together, wondering why things work. And I said, hey, this is a good way to get to the six-figure salary range by becoming an engineer. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's, that's <laughs> kind of the same reason I ended up being an electrical engineer. I was just like... You know, I'm sure that there's some people that make crazy money in designing video games and video game systems. That's what I want to do. And yeah, a couple of internships after that, I'm like, yeah, I hate this. I'm going to grad school. (laughs) 
But so you you actually you worked in the oil field. Uh, eventually got into project management, and you know, for a lot of engineers, that's that's the goal. You know, live, be in project management world most of your career, and then you know maybe be a consultant or or whatever, and then eventually retire. However, you found yourself actually starting side hustle businesses during your off time. What kind of businesses did you find yourself really getting into outside of your your day job, so to speak? I would say that the after going through college for seven years, working full time, going to school at night, and just being sleep deprived and just uh, just really just struggling. I was broke and just you know just very uh, just not as happy as I normally would be. Just it was you know engineering school you went through it is tough. Like uh, you know a lot of times oh, we yeah. talk about. You know, I wouldn't wish things on my enemies, but to me, I would, I'd wish that they would go to engineering <laughs> school because that was tougher than anything I've gone through. So All right. the, uh, the, what it was is I, I had all this free time. I was getting off at four thirty, five o'clock on a normal engineering job. And for a while I would go out and do the partying thing like any single dude would be in his twenties, you know, the bar scene and these things like that. And it just became wasteful. And I was like, you know, I could do a lot more and be productive to get ahead. And also as a young engineer, and you'll reflect on this, JC. We didn't get a lot of responsibilities or, or things. We were always told to wait in line. It's not your turn for that role yet. Even though when you're looking at these next tier level jobs, you're like, I can totally do that job. And it wasn't being right. cocky. Like, you really could do that job. I mean, a lot. you finally get that job a few years later. You're like, this was easy as I thought. So you start to look for creative outlets. You look for opportunities to take leadership roles. You look for ways to just show the skills that you have. And sometimes you have to look outside of your career path to go do that. And for me, that was just starting companies. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. So I, I, I'm guessing that, the, you know, this kind of came back from the fact that, you know, you grew up, your dad was a Marine and that, you had this work ethic instilled in you throughout really your your career was entrepreneurship something that you know you had heard about growing up or where did that where did the idea of just starting a business as your your way of putting off extra energy where'd that come into play i guess to, to touch on the the military background yeah i was actually born on a marine base in japan and my mom is japanese oh. So I oh, okay. had two very hmm. disciplinary parents. The dad was definitely the physical, you know, disciplinarian of just, you know, get your crap in order and just, you know, put in the work, show up on time, things like that. My mom was very mm -hmm. much on the educational disciplinary. And so to give you guys an idea, I never missed a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. Dang. I wish I could say the same thing, but the same issue that I have right now is the reason why I missed some school back in the day. But well, it wasn't, it wasn't job, because man. I wanted to. It was, you know, if I wasn't dying, she was like, go to school. <laughs> but, right. but it's a. And apparently you never I, were dying. I, I, I was which, never again, dying enough. Congratulations. I was never dying enough, you know. I mean, you could go with chills and a runny nose and cough. and. It wasn't typhoid fever, so you had to go to school. <laughs> Yeah, if it didn't require the ER, I was going to school. <laughs> but that, that does that does give you some idea. But I'll tell you that you can't blame it solely on your parents on how you come out because I have a oh, sister totally. that's a year and a half older than me, and we are complete opposites in this regard, even though we had the same raising, the same parents. My parents are still together, so mm. it kind of just shows you there's still some intrinsic value. There's something within individuals to want to do that. And to kind of go back on the entrepreneur thing, I was the the ten year old that was pushing the lawnmower around the neighborhood, knocking on doors, asking if I could mow yards. I mean, it was pretty easy mm. to, to see the houses that needed it. They had tall grass. I would go knock on their door. They would tell me no. I'd ask if I could wash their car for five bucks. 
So I was always trying to close deals because mm-hmm. I didn't get allowance. My parents were, you know, lower middle class. We lived in one of the most, you know, I guess just above poverty level neighborhoods in the in the town that I grew up in. There was a lot of wealth in that town, but we weren't in that. We, we were in the worst neighborhood. So for me to get money mm-hmm. to want to buy the skateboard or the bicycle or, or toys or whatever, I had to go earn that. My parents didn't give that to us other than holidays and birthdays. So they just taught us and they supported us. And for me, it was the going to the corner store and flipping candy, I'd buy blow pops and Jolly Ranchers. And, and I, you know, the guy got to know me and I was always buying the big carton full and he gave me, you know, a discount on that. So I would go home and put those in little Ziploc bags, kind of like a crack dealer and just <laughs> pedal them off to my kids at the school. So element, even in elementary school, I was flipping, you know, you know, wacky packages and garbage pail kids and Jolly Ranchers and nice. because I knew that those kids, their parents wouldn't let them buy that <laughs> That's stuff. funny. And that's just, just how it was. I was always trying to figure out how to, you know, multiply the money that I, so, you know, even that, mm-hmm. even at that early age, I understood that, that money in, do some work, money equals out. And it's just a very simple concept and it even applies to business. It's just a fundamental concept. Totally. Totally. For me, it was beanie baby beds door to door. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. My sewing machine out of scraps and sold them. <laughs> uh, but eventually, so like you, you developed your own businesses, a couple different businesses, right? How many mm-hmm. have you had? I've had four businesses now. Okay. All, and now mostly I know- in the automotive, mostly in automotive. That's because well, of the, it goes back naturally. to the car passion I have. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and now I, I realize that at least one of them you successfully uh, scaled and sold, but I want to get into the nitty gritty of this real quick because you figured out um, a lot of what took me some years to figure out and what I'm finding a lot of entrepreneurs uh, need help figuring out. So this is why I specialize in with my own clients is scaling their businesses. Uh, so I, it took me years to figure out how to get to the 10 hour work week. And it looks like you were able to do that for at least one of your businesses. And so I'd love to hear what you went through in order to figure out how to make that happen for yourself. And it looks like, um, it was through online businesses too, which is slightly different than what I had in a tech company. So I'm, I'm just like brimming with curiosity. What was your process like? So as a busy professional, which I actually loved my career, I mean, I invested into the degree and, and I was doing some really high tech things in the oil industry and, you know, offshore construction. We had the highest materials and new, they were always setting new records. And there's a lot of bravado being in that because it's the most expensive projects within oil and gas. So to get to that level, like, you know, JC mentioned, those are type typically dream jobs for engineers to get to that level. And, and I could always go back and get a job like that. That's one thing. But I will tell you that me starting mm-hmm. companies, I didn't have all the time. So a lot of times people really got to get out of the employee mindset is what I call it, where they're trying to trade their hours for dollars. You got to get out of that mindset yeah. as soon as possible, because most people that start a company, they look at ways to replace their income that they currently have. So if you're sitting there and you're making $60,000 a year and you start a business, the first thing you type, tend to think about on a normal human basis is how do I make this a $60,000 a year income so it can replace my job? And so, and I get it. It's, it's a, it's a common sense first milestone thing to ask about, but a lot of times people set their upper glass ceiling on that limit. So if they mm-hmm. think, you know, if I'm a hundred thousand dollar salary person, then I'm a hundred thousand, you know, personal worth value, you know, type person. And that's just wrong. You got to get rid of those, those limitations. Those limitations were set on you by your teachers, your parents, your boss, they're not your goals. You're basically have created goals based on other people that you're surrounding yourself with could be your best friends or telling, Hey, congrats on making a hundred thousand. You're like, you're the successful of us all. So if you walk around in a circle of people like that, you believe that you've somehow made that, even though if you don't feel like you're successful, 
And you just kind of get right. complacent. You're like, oh, I guess I made it. Everybody's telling me I made it. I feel like I guess I'm successful. I'm, I guess I'm just going to get content and live my next 45 years and then die. So it's, 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 just, it's this idea that trading hours for dollars does not work. And especially when you start thinking about your own current hourly rate, and that doesn't scale because we only have an X amount of hours per day. All of us no, have the right. same amount. So I start thinking, how can I be creative? How can I multiply or amplify my value versus the time? And you have to really just disconnect time versus dollars. So that's what I love about online businesses. And that's perfect for busy professionals or people with families, because I get it. You're going to hustle for about a year, year and a half to get that thing off the ground, to build the marketing, to build the presence, mm -hmm. to get your word out. And you will be putting a lot of time in initially for that first year, year and a half. But once it's created and you can start doing targeted ads like things we have nowadays, like I didn't have all that. I didn't have Facebook or social media, things that are a lot easier. <laughs> I didn't have live videos on a camera that could reach thousands of people. So we had to do it by cold calling, cold emailing, just really hustling, going to conventions, putting our face in front of people. You know, the old school mm -hmm. way to build that company, to scale it, yeah. to show people you care. But I knew that if we could create the audience and there was an online automotive community called LS1 Tech. When we sold that website five years into the business, there was 160,000 registered members. And now today, people hear that number and they think, oh, that's like 160,000 followers. That's that's not a big deal. But no, we had their contact information. We could send them things. We could mm -hmm. email them. We could call them. So we had a lot more power, a lot more leverage. And when you have a large audience, that's where the scale comes in because now we could attract the advertising revenue. So we basically helped put the magazine business, which I love, I was involved in that as well, kind of out of business because they were not getting the the numbers that we were for putting the, their ads in front of eyeballs. So it's all about mm. trying to scale, trying to make the world your customer base rather than your zip code. And a lot of people in the side hustle community, a lot of people with side businesses, they just really think too damn small. You got to remove those limits, get rid of those borders and start thinking about how you can create money and revenue while you're sleeping, not when you're just checking right. in. Right. Yeah. Over and over again, I hear from all kinds of different professionals. It's all about passive income. You really got to start to think about passive income. And when you are on all, online in business, that makes it very easy to do. Um, as long as you said, uh, well, thinking I, outside the box. I have a, I have a question though. If you were to go back and you had the opportunity to do the direct calls versus do what's kind of promoted in the online space today, you know, building an audience and, and, you know, eventually, you know, having some of those as buyers, what would you have personally done? Would you have still made those, those direct conversations? Cause I'm guessing that I would. Yeah. It's important if you're trying to attract the advertisers to get on a, a personal level with the, you know, the, usually the, the marketing managers, the one that approves the budget each year. So Around November, we're, we're cold calling all these manufacturers and different people in the automotive industry to see if they we can get them on board, having meetings, going to conventions to get to know them in person, mm -hmm. building those relationships. That's important for attracting the corporate B2B type business. Now, how we enticed the users to show up on our site, it was free for them, but we, how we got them to go on there was we gave parts giveaways. Mm -hmm. So we would collaborate with advertisers to get free parts, donate those <laughs> as contests to get people to register. And basically they, they benefited from the marketing exposure of that part. And we got a lot of new members from that. So we did that for about two years, you know, giving things away once a month, usually two or $300 kind of time, time range. So, you know, incredible advertising value for that amount, considering back then magazine, like a half page ad back then was like $5,000. 
and a magazine circulation in automotive was only like 100,000 copies a month sometimes, but we had 100,000 people visit our website on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah, super clever, leveraging the the tribe that you've got in order to bring in more people and invite them into your tribe and then grow that. Um, and so you've talked about consistency and you're a big believer in this. Um, and so tell me why does it matter in business? Consistency is my word. It's a fundamental that we always hear about it, We've heard it since we were kids, like be consistent, do this, show up, do these things. And it, we start to hear that, but if you hear it so often, it becomes the, it becomes overlooked is the way I think about it. I think most people hear it and they're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That's cool. But you know what? No one ever does that. I can look across, especially on social media. So many people know that consistency is very important, but so few actually consistently deliver, show up every day, provide value and do that. And it's because everybody's running around looking for the next silver bullet to try to solve their problem. They just, they kind of look away from the fundamentals, which are there for a reason and don't really stress on the fundamentals. And they're always looking for like the next buzzword, mm -hmm. the next gadget, yeah. mm -hmm. things like that. And they waste all this yeah. inordinate amount of time chasing their tail. But consistency is what people will notice. Consistency is what's always going to deliver. So on social media, for example, I'm big on creating value, creating content on a, on a daily basis. So I'm very active on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And I show up every single day and I make single posts every day and I make videos every single day. And that's how I've been able to build my personal brand, which I've been able to portably carry that into different businesses. So I can build a really strong personal brand. I can move into this. I can go into this industry. I can sell a company, carry my personal brand with me into the next company. So it's very important to use these, these social media platforms as tools because they're very powerful for marketing. And most people just think you're just oh, yeah, right. and wasting time. But if you do <laughs> yeah. it with intent... Yeah, it's, it's just showing up. And I'll tell you that most people start companies and they go hard for about two or three months and then they don't get the traction that they think they're entitled mm. to because they look over at, you know, at, at Susan doing really well or or Bob doing really well. And they go, oh, this looks easy. I can do that. So they jump into the mix thinking that they're going to have the same results in the same amount of time. And they come to realize like no one's paying attention to them. They feel like yeah. they're talking to an empty room. They feel like, why am I doing this? This is, you know, it's, this isn't working and I'm not making any mm -hmm. money yet. And so their, their, their expectations that social media is powerful and they've heard all these great things from all these you know, thought leaders and all these people are just going right. to show up on their front doorstep. But what they haven't realized is they don't have that consistency and that most people, including all three of us, I'm sure we're very skeptical by <laughs> nature. And we see these flash in the pan type people that really hit the ground running, coming out of nowhere. And we're, we're just observing silence is what we do. Yeah. We watch what they're doing and we try to see what they're doing. We try to see if they're going to sustain, if they're, if they're real, if they really have a strong enough purpose, they're not going to quit. And then basically six months into a year, if they're still consistent, we start to give them yeah. a little bit of love. We right. start to go, hey, we're still here. We're, right. we're watching with you. Hey, good job. And a year in, if they're really consistent, they're showing up every day, they're putting in the work. You're like, okay, this person's dedicated. They're serious. They have a lot of passion for this. Now I'm going to mm -hmm. go all in and support them. Because if you don't get past that six-month mark with talking to an empty room, that's when most people quit. And we know that. So we kind of just wait it out to see if you couldn't quit. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually, I mean, I've noticed that with my own businesses, but I tell my clients that too, that like, everything changes after the first year. And it's that, that psychological aspect that you're talking about where we see so much happening all the time, especially on social media. It just is really easy to, to think that maybe they're just going to be here for a few minutes and then leave. So why would I trust them yet? 
and to see them appearing every day or every other day and they're continuing to say the same thing to offer the same thing and then you're hearing from others that they're doing good work then the trust starts to build they're willing to work with you um but yeah i see so often with entrepreneurs they there's a misconception and i know jc seen this too the 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 misconception of if you build it they will come that that's still floating around since like the late nineties. If you built a website back then, like, yeah, you were the one of the only websites on the web. And so maybe you'd get traction. Right. Not true today. You have to show up after you build it. People love to do business with you. They like, know, and trust. And that's, yeah. that's a, that's a key to social media is most people treat social media. Just like you said, a web page. They think, Hey, I'll make a business page and I'll make a banner on my user profile and all this business is going to roll in. And you know what? I need one of these things called a funnel. What's a funnel? I don't know what a funnel is, but I, I, I won't say, and I need a funnel and I'll be rich as soon <laughs> totally. as I have a funnel. So there they are chase, chasing the and silver bullets, and, not yeah. understanding what they are, not, not having the right product or the, or the packages to market with a funnel, not even understanding the psychologic and psychology of the marketing and the, and the copywriting for those things. But they just hear this buzzword and they go chasing their tail looking for, you know, all these, these tactics that don't really deliver because they don't know how to use them properly. Right. And it's just, you can't just create something and expect no. people to show up. That humans work are anymore. humans. Google yeah. does not spoon feed you. Yeah. yeah. Be, be social, be social on social media. Let people know who you are and don't be the person that's always pitching your company. That's terrible. Like that's terrible <laughs> advice. If, if I go to your Facebook feed and everything you're posting about is your product or your service, no one likes you. I hate to tell you. Really? You don't want me to always be selling? <laughs> <laughs> no one tell no one likes you, but they're not telling you that. I'm, I'm giving you the tough love. Like you gotta add a lot more value. You gotta entertain people. You gotta educate them on things. You've got to mm-hmm. tell them a joke. Just let them know who you are. Tell them your thoughts. Tell them the things that you think about. Show them the things that you're doing in your life. Just let people know who you are and they're going to reverse look at your 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 you know, they're going to Facebook creep you. Let's be honest. They're going to say, well, what does this person really do? Oh, he owns this business. Oh, cool. I, I, I might need that service. Or, hey, I know someone that needs that service. Right. Now they like you. They know you. They trust you. They're going to refer people to you or they're going to do business with you. Right. Right. Well, and I think that that's one of the major problems that when people are starting out and they're trying to figure out what their niche is, you know, depending on whatever their silver bullet that they're going after at the time, you know, they, I think they... They, they focus too much on seeing what other people are doing and believing that that whatever other people are doing is going to work for them. Sure. Like, you know, you know, and if you think about it, that space is already going to be filled up by that other person. And so, you know, you look at your, you know, your passions, your purpose, and, and, and then how you particularly do things. And how you how you particularly do things shouldn't be based off of how other people do, but more so on what the market actually wants. And I think a lot of people don't make that connection, if you know what I'm totally. saying. Totally, and it, it, it's a lot easier to be yourself and be authentic and be transparent and be your own vulnerable level because you don't have to carry around a liar's handbook to keep all the notes of all the lies you told. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Or a notebook of just, you know, this is, you know, comparing your business to where someone else was at a particular time and being like, well, they were doing this at this point and I should be at this, you know, at this point. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You're just (laughs) killing your spirit. Yeah. And and you you talked, you talked about how they niche down and I'll give you some feedback on that. A lot of times people, let's face it, we all have a lot of different skills or knowledge that we can monetize. 
And we think when we first step into the entrepreneur field that, hey, if I can market and showcase all these things I can do, I'm going to get all kinds of business. Mm -hmm. But that's like counterintuitive because most people think like that. They think they can throw this really large casting net and catch all this fish. But the fact right. is, is most people, most people look for specialists, not generalists. And until you learn how to niche down to the things that you have passion for, that you want to teach if someone solves one major problem for them, that's when you start to get traction. And I learned that way. I mean, I even thought I niched down far enough. And then as I got it niched down even further to work with small business owners, then the things just started to pick up because I, you know, let's, let's, we had a lot of different skills we could have monetized, but that was the thing that I have a lot of passion for. I could, I talk, I could talk about business and cars all day long. So it's those two things. Well, <laughs> just one more thing to add to that, though. You were talking about how people become general practitioners, essentially. If you want to go after passive income, and the doctor's world, as, a, as an analogy, the general pr practitioner is on call all the time. You know, 50 minutes here with this patient, 50 minutes here with this patient, 50 minutes here with this patient. Whereas a specialist, someone that does, you know, brain surgery or, you know, back surgery, foot surgery, mm -hmm. whatever, they have what? A couple of jobs per week, mm -hmm. right? And then they're done. And that's another way that you got to think about having a specialty is that, you're not always going to be, if you don't want to be on call all the time, that's the reason to become special, specialized to what you do, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. So your first business, you sold it at 34 and started kind of living the, the dream, so to speak, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, this business was actually earning you six figures of, of yearly income. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that are wrapped around this, but... Can you talk about what, what kind of a business this was? It was an on, online automotive community, and we made all our advertising revenue from big name companies like Chevrolet, Cadillac, uh, Discount okay. Tire. Uh, you know, we basically had all the automotive titans advertising on our website to our, our, you know, our members. Uh, we also had a, a national drag racing event that we kicked off based on those engines. So it was cars based on the Corvette, Camaro, Cadillacs. Okay. Basically, anything General Motors performance was covered within our portfolio of vehicles. And we kind of spun off. We created another one just for trucks. So, you know, so all the, the guys that like to race their trucks, there's a lot of, you know, Fords, Chevys, Dodges, people, Billy's highly modified trucks. We created another website as a spinoff from that. Did well from that. Had more advertising revenue over there. So wow. we were able to replicate the, the business model that we had a couple times. And a large company came in. And just give you, to give your ideas, your listeners an idea... Once that website was established and growing, and that took about a year, year and a half to where it started just to snowball and just grew out. You know, it grew a lot bigger than we ever imagined it would be. It just, it took off because of the the quality and the, the service that we put into it to make sure that everybody was happy. We wanted to make sure the users had a great experience. There was no lagging servers. Like we always upgraded mm -hmm. things before we, we, we stayed ahead of things. We stay ahead of the software updates. We're always adding improvements. We're always getting their feedback and incorporating those. So we were very good at keeping the customers happy whether that was the free users or the paying sponsors, we treated them both as customers because they were, they needed each other. We needed, it was a win, win, win kind of combination, but we were making about $400,000 a year profit on that website. And my partner and I, we were only spending mm. about 30 minutes a day on it. Mm. Nice. Wow. 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 So what was life like after selling that business? I mean, what, what all changed? 
for you? For me, I really it was more focused on the corporate career climb at that point. Uh, I guess I was in my mid thirties. I was I was trying to push for an executive role, doing the things, networking, getting that corporate ladder. I made it to middle management. I was working for the major mm-hmm. oil operators, you know, like Shell and and Petrobras and Chevron and. So I, I had made it to the, the level that I was just, you know, maybe one level removed from starting to get into the upper level management roles, you know, and the multiple mm-hmm. six figure income. So I was more focused on my career and, and, and investing and doing different things and starting another company. I started a, an online wheel retail business as a spinoff from the first company. And that I've had the business called Deviate Motoring. It's it's an online wheel retail. I only, only deal with a very high end expensive custom made wheels because that's the kind of clientele I like to work with. I, I learned that right. the mass volume, low, low priced kind of parts, uh, you know, say thousand dollars or less type sets of wheels. I had dealt with customers that were more demanding. I was making less money and it was more time consuming. So I was like, I don't want to deal with those people. Right. So I focused on just my average tickets about four to $5,000 a sale. And even with that business, once it's online, once it's established, once you get the marketing out there, once people know who you are, and they know you're not going to run off with their money. I, mm-hmm. I sold over eight. I sold over eight hundred thousand dollars in wheels in 2018, and I only spend about fifteen minutes a day on that business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Again, it goes to show you the whole specialized thing. You know, it's like don't deal in the little little market where you can, you know, capitalize in the, in the big one. That's, that's Man, awesome. I'll tell you, I niche down even further than you think is I sell wheels, but I don't like selling tires. A lot of people think you have to sell both. And I will only do that as a convenience sometimes, but I do not advertise tires because here's the thing. Tires are a low profit margin on a thousand dollar set of tires. I might make $20 a tire. And after credit mm. card fees, you basically lose money to sell tires. So the only way to sell tires is in a, in a massive amount of volume. So these tire installation shops, when they got a row of 16-year-old boys mounting and balancing tires at you know $12 an hour, and they're, and they're charging $100 an hour to do that service, and they're getting a volume of tires and volume discounts, that's when they can make money on tires. And they also have these road hazard certificates they're always trying to sell you when you go buy tires. That's another way for them to monetize that. But it's based on volume. And for an individual, a solopreneur, like, I don't have time to do that. I'm not going to go out there and change tires. And I just know that I'm not, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to sell the very expensive wheels that those tire shops don't even sell. Nice. Nice. So it wasn't, it was actually at this point, you mean, so you, you, you sold your first business and you're, you're, you're doing this over here. You know, you still had your, both your legs, one in corporate and one in entrepreneurship, which that someone at this level, for the most part, many would believe that you would have switched to one or the other specifically probably doing the whole business thing. What made you decide to step out of that, that corporate arena finally? For me, when I finally got into my forties and I was, as you know, when you get to those higher level corporate jobs, unfortunately with oil industry or automotive, I'm sure, you know, Veronica, it's, it's, there's always downturns. There's always, it's a cyclical mm-hmm. type thing that every, an oil industry, it's about every six to seven years. It seems like there's some kind of a downturn. It's based on oil you know, it's commodity. The prices drop, it goes global and everybody starts getting laid off. So you start to find when I was in my twenties and that happened, it wasn't a big deal because there's a lot of jobs paying at that level. When I was in my thirties, maybe a little painful, you might be unemployed for you know two or three months before you can find a job kind of at the same income. And then mm-hmm. when you're in your, your mid forties and you get laid off and you're making multiple six figures, there's like zero jobs. Like you're going to be unemployed for six to eight months sometimes, especially if during a downturn. And this downturn we just had three years ago, it still kind of hasn't fully recovered. 
I mean, before the downturn, when oil was over $100 a barrel, I was getting calls all day long from recruiters wanting me to come to their company. Oh, sure. And paying all these money. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at. No problem. Don't worry. It's been three years that my phone has not rung. So you got to think about that. It's like I got tired of my career and my livelihood being somebody else's decision. I, I got tired of my senior, you know, my senior uh, knowledge and experience I have being, you know, basically discounted for somebody as a placeholder. Because what they do is they look at someone has a, a role like me. And they go, that guy's expensive. This is a financial reason we got to cut, you know, top 25% out. Mm -hmm. They start looking for somebody that they're paying half that can basically keep that seat warm until the market returns and train them up a little bit. And then when the market returns, they always like to could try to hire guys like me back. See, that's how it kind of works. And right. that doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't like sitting on the bench. I'm too busy for that. I got a lot more value that I can share with this world. And to me, a lot of people get in the corporate world to try to make multiple six figures. Like, if you work really hard as an engineer, you could probably make about $200,000 in 25 years, or you can start a company and make that in two years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to get into uh, the the pivot that you did when you sold your business, because um, I sold my tech company last year. And luckily I had done enough homework and I had scaled enough that my business was ready for it. And we were able to just go ahead and move forward. Um, but what my... Uh, my broker told me, and what I hear a lot of is that um, businesses aren't always ready to sell and there's a steep le learning curve along the way. And I'm kind of curious, um, you know, what the process was like for you, but then also what would you, what did you learn that you would want to communicate to our listeners if they're thinking about going that route? That's a great question because uh, I'll even uh, back that statement up because you, did you realize that only 1% of companies ever get sold? Word. <laughs> One percent. And it's not because ninety nine percent aren't for sale. It's because ninety nine percent are overpriced or not worth anything. Right. <laughs> so, they didn't do their homework because there's a lot of companies out there who totally could be sellable, but they haven't packaged it up and gotten themselves out of the business. And so then they're just sitting with, you know, some intellectual property, maybe. Yeah, we, we could talk about the book E-Myth Revisited, the Michael Gerber, yeah. you know, working in your business versus working on your business. And we find that a lot of people, and that's the kind of small business owners I tend to help with, they're, they're too much embedded into the daily routine or process of their business or the business is based yes. on their yes. unique skill or ability, which they haven't trained, you know, trained other people to take on. And yep. you can't sell yep. yourself unless you're a prostitute in some states. <laughs> so basically... You got people out here really calling themselves entrepreneurs, but they're really just self-employed. There's a difference. It's if you're if you have to show up every single day, especially if there's hours posted on on the door. That's that's terrible for me. Like I don't I don't want to have to be time committed or location committed. I I can be on a boat in Spain and still do my wheel business. So think about that. You like remove all these barriers, remove those borders we talked about earlier. But it's to build a company that you can sell. A lot of times, I mean. When we started that company, we didn't have that idea to sell it because no we've been pitched. Yeah, we pitched a few <laughs> times, and we had we were pitched a few times, but people had no idea of the money that that website was bringing, and so it was almost just laughable to see some of the offers. We would entertain them. Like you get an email once in a while, like every every few months. Hey, would you like to sell your website? I'm like, yeah. How much are you offering? And I, and I say, oh, we'll, <laughs> we'll give you a one hundred thousand dollars. Woo! <laughs> Do you I'm know like, uh, <laughs> our yeah. daily revenue is? Exactly. We're like, oh, cool. Thank you for your interest. And then finally, you know, five years in, we had this company, you know, pitch us like, hey, we just bought these other three companies. And then we knew those companies were like, oh, well, maybe these people are serious. 
And they said, we would like to, to talk to you about selling your company. And we're like, okay, well, you come up with an offer and we'll, we'll see if we're interested. And they came up with, and, and a, my partner and I, we were already knee deep in our careers, doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, here's the number that we want to come out with. You know, if we can get this number, then we'll, we'll sell it. Is that yeah. good? And like, he was like, yeah. Because yeah, we'll you're not like up. hurting yeah. for the money or anything at that point. Yeah. You just need to make sure exactly. that you do right for, by your business. Exactly. And we knew that we could use that cash to do other things and build other companies or whatever. So yeah. he and I had a number in our mind and their first opera was, was more than that. And we're like, Whoa. So I said, okay, so now we, I think this might be serious. So let's, uh, let's hire a lawyer. So, you know, mm-hmm. we had a friend that was a lawyer that did all these mergers and acquisitions and he helped us out. And he's like, that was just their first offer. And we're like, what are you talking about? He's like, that's always the lowest offer. So we countered and they said, okay, like they didn't even wince. I'm like, oh crap, we should ask for more, (laughs) but you don't, don't be greedy. You know, we, we, uh, we basically wanted to be millionaires after all our taxes were paid. So it was kind of a a good thing to have as a hobby air quotes, hobby business. (laughs) And here's the thing about valuation. Most people do things wrong. Primarily start with the books. They, they pay themselves too much or they report not enough profit, which greatly kills the valuation of your company. So if you're an owner and your owner's compensation is way too high for the position that would replace you. Like if you were to hire somebody to do your job and you pay them that much, that's how much you should be compensating yourself if you want your books to be right. So mm-hmm. a potential buyer is also not interested in what you did, but what is coming, what, what can right. you do? So when you have a recurring business model like we did, it was a subscription-based service on advertising revenue. And we had a backlog of people that were paying a year in advance for advertising packages. So right. they were based buying us based on the potential proven numbers. We had all the you know, when you start looking at how to evaluate, you know, create valuation in a company. We had every single checkbox checked off, and it was just an amazing business model for that because we had one 1099 employee. He was the guy that maintained the server and the software, and we had a bunch of freelance people that we would pay 1099s to help out do different things, manage different areas of the website, do create some content. So no real employees other than the two owners. And we had recurring revenue business model. We had a positive cash flow business model because people were paying us ahead of the services rather than us having to do net 30, net 60. They're paying us in advance. So we had all these different things. We did the books the right way because we weren't surviving off of that website. We were basically just paying ourselves very little and enjoying the, uh, rolling it back into the company, being able to fund the drag racing series, buying a few fancy cars to use for promotions and you know, doing some projects with the the advertisers. So we had every single checkbox for, you know, a massive you know, multiple. So typically a, a company gets valued at five to six times EBITDA, you know, earnings before income taxes, you know, amortization. And you're looking at your, basically your profits is what they look at. What are the profits of the year? If a company has a unique brand, a unique service, and they're going to multiply it higher. So, you know, most companies get advertised, you know, bought out between two to five the more unique, it's a five times multiplier based on your profit. So there, that's where that factor comes in. If you're paying yourself too much or you're not reporting all the money that you're making, your profit looks like crap. Well, I feel like there's like a piece missing here perhaps, but okay. So, so we sold the business, we've moved on and you, you are helping now. I mean, clearly you've got your coach consultant brain on, you are helping other people figure their way through building their businesses, building the the work that they love to do. And then also like not going out of their minds trying to do it. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, like what that looks like for you in the day-to-day level, but also where do you think you want to go with it? Because based on this conversation with you, I'm, I'm getting the, 
this vibe that you're not willing to just kind of like sit and do the same thing for the rest <laughs> of your life. So I'm, I'm curious if you have kind of a vision or right off into the sunset anytime soon. Yeah, I already know that I'm going to fail miserably at retirement because I'm too much of a busy oh, body. Yeah, but right. I, I definitely <laughs> won't be that? the type. Yeah, you know, I won't be the type that shows up to a, a work site. I, I hope I never have to be that again. But I will yeah. be the investor. I will be the mentor. I will invest in companies, build companies, do that kind of thing, and hire the right people to manage those. That's that's just to me. Business is a game. I love games. It's just like a, like a video game to me. Like here's my rules. They're called taxes, regulations, and uh, laws. Like those are my rules. Okay, let me see how I can create some awesome business or brand around these rules. And that's the game. It's uh, that's that's how we all kind of perceive business as. Mm-hmm. But for me, three sixty five driven. I'm building an entrepreneur's hub. I want to build a network community of influencers who are help you know small business owners to, to achieve their mindset, wellness, health, all the things that matter. I think everything is a, as, as a, a balanced package. I don't believe in being financially successful if you're unhealthy. I just there's there's less happiness, less fulfillment in that. And I'll tell you that I've I've achieved the monetary things. I've achieved material possessions. I got all these fancy cars and nice home and they don't make you happy forever. They're just temporary things. You'd think mm-hmm. that if you get more of these things you're going to be happier. It's not true. I was I was pretty happy even when I was broke. I was just a happy person. If you're a miserable person now, you're you're probably going to just be a miserable rich person. You yeah. kind of carry your character along with you until you fix yeah. your mind and right. decide to do that. And I and I do believe people can change because I've known several people who have changed either for the for the worst or for the best. But you carry that character worthy. I don't think it's an attachment to money. But what I wanted for for the small business owners is a place for them to join as a community. Because I'm big on communities. I know how that scales. You build something that people can get behind. They want to be a part of that. It's human nature. Even as a leader of communities, I have a Facebook group that's 2,500 entrepreneurs. You know, and I built this big community that's got 300,000 people now. It's, I know that's a way to scale. I, you never want to build a company that's, you're the, you're the limiting factor. You don't ever want to be the bottleneck of your company. You want to build something yeah. much bigger than you. That would oh, yeah. be much bigger than you. And that's how you scale. So I want people to be able to join 365 Driven have a slew of different thought leaders, experts, and you know people willing to help them level up any aspect that they're you know feeling lacking in their lives, whether that's business, success, relationships, mindset. But I, don't, I got tired of seeing all these different people with their $1,000 coaching packages and $1,000 programs, and you're having to like go a la carte and jump around and, and buy all these things like one at a time. It's like, why isn't there like some huge brand that kind of has all these people involved in it that maybe people buy credits mm-hmm. and they can go use this credits like this week on this nice. this one to learn a little bit here. Then over here, they can learn about this one and, you know, and also have that sense of community, which most entrepreneurs do not have. So important. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody can get anything done in a silo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too many people uh, don't have the, the circle or the support network of people that they can have these conversations with. And I can think, I think everybody here can relate. We go out to dinner with some friends. All they want to do is talk about their kids and like what their kids are doing. And, you know, it's small talk and that's enjoyable once in a while. But for someone who's, you know, business minded or really driven, it's like, Hey, I want to have dinner with people who are challenging me and like, and like, you know, making me think about different perspectives and like where our future is going, not mm-hmm. what we've done in our past. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if you mm-hmm. peaked back in high school or college, like your life is really sad by choice. Like you need to figure out what's going to challenge you and start looking at your circle and go, hey, these are, these, are any of these people inspiring me? Are any of these people doing things that I want to do? And if the answer yeah. is no, then you need to start looking for that network of people who are. Yeah, 100% mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. Totally, totally. 
So as we're wrapping up things here today, I want to get into the rapid fire question segment. And the first question that I have for you is who are three influencers or teachers that have really inspired you and helped you get to where you're at today? I would say my earliest one was my football coach in high school. He, uh, he was a hard ass. I mean, he, he definitely put you through the paces and sometimes mm. I felt like he was trying to make me quit. But what he was doing is creating mental toughness and, and building a belief system with you and, and within or it's a physical and a mental thing. So showing up to practice and just taking those hits and doing those reps, even if it always didn't make sense. And then dealing with the uh, the group punishments <laughs> when somebody screwed yep. up, the team all gets punished more running laps and it was like a physical punishment that you started to find some kind of a solitude and you go, hey, I can actually do more than I thought I could because after the season, you're like, wow, I've, I've done all these different things I never thought I could even do. And so there was times that we hated that guy just because he was so hard on us. But when you look back as an adult, like that guy was doing everything for good intentions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say that I've had a couple supervisors in my cor- corporate career. I, I, I could tell you, I can count on one hand the amount of actual leaders that I've actually reported to. And I can mm-hmm. count probably on on five hands how many supervisors I've had in my career that I just they were not leaders. They did not teach people. Right. They did not lead mm-hmm. by example. They were the do as I say, not not, not mm-hmm. what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, bossing you around, just being you know they didn't facilitate. A lot of times these 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 poor leaders would basically take credit for things that their team did to try to make themselves look but you know better. And there's there's only like probably three that I actually gained some interest and respect from. They they pushed me. They gave me more more responsibility. They you know they made me come up with the solutions rather than always spoon feeding me. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, it's just a uh, I, I get a lot of my 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 knowledge, my motivation from reading books. I read I do audio books. I love audio books for the time factor. But I finish at least one audio book mm-hmm. per week. And I flip pages on a on a normal book by one per month. So I usually finish each year about sixty books. Nice. Have you heard of Blinkist? Mm. Yes. This app. Yeah. Have you tried it? I have not. Books I know in 15 it's, minutes. It shortens down. It shorts down yeah. the book. It gets to like the high level things. And I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I love books and me writing my best selling book was really just to, to show that I could do that. It was just something I always admired. I used to write for automotive magazines and, and that always carried the title of photojournalist or contributing editor or writer. But to me, author was something I've always coveted because I grew up you know, just reading books and understanding the value and, and showing someone's commitment and the consistency. There's our word again of sitting down and cranking out a book. It actually took, mm-hmm. shows a lot of dedication. It's a great way to build some authority in a subject. And honestly, I was not getting a lot of attention in the coaching or the startup or the side hustle world until that book I wrote, you know, Side Hustle Millionaire came out and it just took off. And that kind of just shows you the power of a book. Yeah, absolutely. As a fellow mm-hmm. author, yeah. I agree with everything you just said. Um, if you could ask anyone living or dead a question, who would you ask and what would you ask? Oh my, I, you know, I've been reading a lot more classic books lately. So the question I, I, I would say is I've been reading, uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius, yeah. the Roman emperor. He ruled the Roman empire for, I think 20 years back in the day when it was a huge, huge empire. And there was such turmoil and things going on back there. They were living high on the hill, but you know they're always getting attacked. And you get all these different communities and all these different countries. And he was keeping all that together. And you know, it had to be an incredible leader. And you're reading this book, and he's very philosophical, so he's, he's sharing these thoughts that he has. It's almost like his, it's almost like his his notebook that he just 
anytime he had a thought or something that we would call motivational memes or, or whatever, just real pondering things, he would just write it. He would write a books of these. And he's got like, he's got like, I think 13 small books into this one book called meditations. And most of them are one sentence or one paragraph long, just, you know, basically he has them numbered, you know? So I'm reading through these and what you realize is that human behavior has not changed in thousands of years. I mean, he talks about critics oh. and haters and unproductive people yeah. and people that are sad and, you know, how to deal with these, you know, critics. And just, it's, it's amazing how human nature is not changed. But when you start to understand that there is no cure to human behavior, you start to embrace it and understand how to use that as a, as a powerful marketing concept and just, just roll with it. Nice. Uh, what do most people not realize is a huge waste of money? Huge waste of money. I would say that probably 90% of the, the undergrad degrees out there. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. that most people, yeah. you know, especially in my age, I'm 46. I grew up being told if you didn't go to college, you're going to be a failure. And everybody hoped you went to oh, college. Yeah. And I was actually the first one in my entire family on both sides to go to college. So I, 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 I believed that. And, the problem is, yeah. is the uh, we, we have we've seen a depletion in the blue collar workforce of people that are making really good livings. There's a lot of six figure jobs out there using your hands and doing things and just being construction and all these different aspects. But a lot of times we just had this belief standard that if we didn't go to school to get a degree, that we would be a failure. And here's the thing is when I was managing those restaurants, I heard a lot of people with master's degrees and, you know, bachelor of arts degrees that could not find jobs. So I had a very highly educated mm -hmm. wait staff that did really well. But that just shows you if you can go spend six years in college and spend six figures on a, you know, an invoice basically for that tuition yeah. and to go be a waiter, to me, that's a slap in the face. Like they could have invested that $100,000, $120,000 into some kind of a company or learned some kind of a skill and had a lot better off, you know, because a lot of people out there with those kind of degrees are doing things that are not even related to their, their career anyways. It's like, why did you even get it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I met someone on one of my internships that had, he kind of went the other direction, ended up, he, he got an English degree and ended up being a, a tech supervisor at the uh, university. And, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. That was like the, one of the first times that I realized that that happened because up until that point, I, I always heard of people, oh, you went to school for this and this is what you're doing, or I went to school for this, which I guess looking back is, is kind of a lucky thing because you're right. I mean, so many people do not end up in the field that they went to school for, for various reasons. And also to your point, uh, you were talking about how blue collar jobs are, are becoming harder and harder mm -hmm. to fill. Um, there's just so much you can go into that, like, you know, going into AI and talking about the fact that you're going to have the, the lower, jobs that are at your McDonald's flipping burgers and all these sort of things, or your higher up PhD people who are just crunching data all the time, you know, those jobs are, are potentially in, in danger, but what's never going to be in danger is a plumber. Mm -hmm. At least, at least not for the foreseeable or, or future. Or a car mechanic. Right. Exactly. Or someone that just basically, you know, they have to deal with the people, they have to figure out what's going in there, you know, put their body into it and be like, uh, oh, oh, there it is sort of thing. And then being able to actually find a solution to fix yeah. the problem. And yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a need for programs like uh, MicroWorks and, and things like that because people just need to... The, 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 the perpetual story is still out there that you need to go to school and it's just not no. true. What 
Uh, name one thing that costs under $100 that changed your life. Well, I would say that for me, it's probably free. It's my Google Calendar. It's a, it's an app that I use. It's very powerful. A lot of the other apps integrate with it. And to me, if you're not living your your day to day basis on a calendar or a schedule, then you're not operating as efficiently as you could. So a lot of times, people tell me, "Hey, Tony, I don't have time to start a business." And I start to dissect their daily business, and I go, "Well, what are you doing between four and five? What are you doing between five and six? What you, you know, you start to question them. They're like, oh, uh, uh, uh. And, and they don't want to say Netflix or sitting on the couch or surfing Facebook because the next thing I tell them is like, those are your priorities. And when you tell somebody totally. that sitting on the couch watching Netflix is their priority, that it stings a little bit, but it should because that is your priority. Whatever you're wording, whatever you're doing, whatever you're wasting your time on is your priority. So if it doesn't feel like it should be your priority, then start to ask yourself what your real priorities are. Oh, yeah. nice. Love that. Um, and before we end, the last question that I have for you is what does it mean to live a life of abundance? I think a lot of times we, we have to get to, here, here's my take on abundance. I think it's your duty <laughs> It is your duty to live to your potential. It is your duty to find your potential and, and live to that level. A lot of times people throttle back because they think that being highly successful may somehow paint them as a negative light. There's a lot of you know social division right. going oh, yeah. on, especially oh. with politics yeah. lately, that you know, they think they think if I become wealthy, if I become sex successful, then maybe people will judge me or think I'm evil or or things like that. But here's the thing is the most philanthropic people in this world are the highly successful ones because they have abundance. You cannot give to other people until you have extra. So it is your duty mm -hmm. within your potential to find that extra and find that abundance. And to me, you know, like a lot of people ask about abundance or success to me, success is just ultimate freedom. It's being able to do what I want, when I want, wherever I want, and just not having to be anywhere without having to uh, answer to somebody. So to me, it's ultimate freedom and when you have the abundance of time, when you have the abundance of money, that's when you can give back to society and teach mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have to do what I do. I don't have to teach other people what I know. I don't have to write books. I don't have to do these things. These are things that I am doing to contribute back to the people to help other people up to the level that I am, hopefully get them higher than me. So you got to have the abundance to be able to give. Absolutely. Mm. Totally. Totally. Well, Tony, thanks again for uh, joining us today, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, again, you can be found at 365driven.com. Where can people find you on the socials? That's the best place to go, 365driven.com. You'll find links to my book, my podcast, my, my socials. Everything's on one tidy little package website. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Oh, it makes it very convenient then, right? <laughs> yep. All right, man. Thank you again. Thanks, Thanks for having Tony. me on the show. Good, to, good chatting with you, JC and Veronica. You too. So there you guys have it. A big thanks to Veronica for uh, carrying this conversation a bit. I was at the tail end of a cold and uh, was actually coughing quite a bit off the mic. Uh, speaking of Veronica, she has returned from her trip to India and as of this recording is on her way to Vegas. So be sure to check out her Facebook profile uh, for pictures from her travels. As far as Tony, I have, of course, I have a few videos for you guys to check out if you want to know more about him and his work and the show note extras. Uh, the first video is one where he's simply explaining the difference between a coach and a mentor. You know, and traditionally, this is this is a good thing to know. Uh, the main difference to me is that a coach will help you find the answers internally, where a mentor uh, will help you by giving you the answers. 
So check that video out if you want to get his version of the idea. Uh, next video on there is one where Tony talks about fear and specifically he talks about his crash in a, in a Viper and how his perspective changed when he got out unscathed. Kind of hard to believe that he's going like, I think 120, 130 miles an hour. It's just like, and he gets out and it's like, whoa, I'm still here for a reason. And then the next video, if you want to hear more from him on the topic of entrepreneurship and what key things he says are required to build a successful company, I uh, have a presentation of Tony's where he goes over just this. And finally, I have an interview where he's interviewed by Heather Parody. And Heather herself is a great resource, so I think you guys will uh, love this chat. So again, be sure to check those all out at the show notes at newinceptions.com slash 147. So that's it for this session, guys. Remember, if you're looking to make sure you're doing the work you're supposed to be doing, check out the personal mission guide over at newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with Tony, Veronica, and me. Always appreciate you having you guys here. And until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care in whatever you're creating. And I'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.